ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Chris and Andre Show, and thank you for joining us on episode 24. 24. Just like my favorite actor, Kiefer Sutherland. He's not really my favorite actor. Although his dad was pretty cool. I like Donald. Yeah, uh, I think they were both in Lost Boys back in the day. Yes, I believe you're right. Uh, I'm trying to think. His dad was also... um, uh, Oh, what was it? It was uh, Animal House. I think he he was the professor that was banging the... <laughs> His student, yeah, using pardon the parlance of our time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, since that's where your mind went, uh, did you hear the news that Cards Against Humanity is getting canceled? They, uh, their one of their founders stepped down, and apparently they had this toxic culture of uh, racism and sexual uh, deviance. <laughs> you know, uh, I hadn't heard. And I got to be honest with you, I'm pretty shocked because a uh, wholesome family game like Cards Against Humanity, um, <laughs> you wouldn't think that that type of environment is, is what would breed that type of game. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. I, for one, have never played that a game, that game and not not been offended. Yeah, I think the uh, first time I ever, first and only time I ever put, maybe it was the second time, but I was that, yeah, I was highly offended. <laughs> and uh, it took a lot out of me not to catch a charge that day. So good. I'm glad they're gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, um, I don't think we're really going to miss them. You know, it's, it, it's interesting because I think, like I, I think you look at kind of like movies and TV and me- just media, right? In general, advertising even, and what what is kind of allowed, right? What what people can do and say on television now is significantly more, let's say, risque, right? Uh, not even necessarily like overtly sexual, but violence and all that stuff too. It's like way more than what you used to be able to do. It's like, yeah, that's an understatement. It's- and like, I almost wonder, you know, like, <laughs> what was that awful period of time, uh, like the Spanish Inquisition or something like that, uh, where like, are we gonna, are we gonna all gonna just go back? You know, like, are we gonna get to the point where we're like, this is disgusting, and we're just we like we have to take a huge step back again? Um, I, I like, is there going to be a big pushback from society on on where we're going with this? Because it's like it's getting to the point where even like social media stuff. I mean, it, you know, like half the videos you watch on there are, are essentially murder porn, right? right? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that the the moral compass is is pointing due north in this in this society right now. So, I highly doubt that. Well, and know? I think it's you know it's kind of proof that. While some of us, right, I think are adult enough, let's say not even adult, mature enough, right, as individuals to to understand 
you know, the difference between what happens on TV and in movies and what real life is and that, you know, in small doses and in certain, you know, types, like it's, it's okay to consume, you know, violent, like Terminator, right? I'm going to go watch right. the Terminator 2 movie because it's like, I watched that movie probably when I was like eight years old, <laughs> which I know is young. And I, my dad yeah. will be joining us later so he can, he can discount whether or not I was actually that old. I might've been older, but I, I, I mean, I was not older than 12. There's no way I was older than 12 when I saw Terminator 2 for the first time. But that's not even a believable movie. So that's not like a... Well, it's not, but I mean, a liquid robot is pretty darn terrifying at like 10, 12 years old. <laughs> you powder puff. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even real. Like... Well, no, but I didn't have a non-liquid robot to back me up. You know why Nightmare on Elm Street was scary? Because what? everybody dreams. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. I know. So, like, I'm not going to lie. Like, Terminator 2 was not, like, the height of my nightmares by any stretch of the imagination. I right. spent far more time walking around my backyard with my stupid little pop gun rifle and my black patent leather jacket uh, <laughs> and a pair of sunglasses saying, hasta la vista, baby over and over again because you know that movie was cool as shit <laughs> so did terminator 2 make you afraid of the cops no i mean uh no. so there you go <laughs> no but i yeah yeah okay no it didn't make me afraid of the cops it did make yeah. me afraid of the future and lo <laughs> and behold i was right <laughs> yeah well well, I'm glad Cards Against Humanity is getting "quote unquote." Yeah, back canceled. to the uh, topic <laughs> instead of yeah, and then I, us so, off on some other tangent. No, it's fine. It's uh. Reddit is banning the uh, the Donald and the Chapo Trap House Reddit groups and a, a, a slew of other like hate filled yeah like subreddits mm -hmm. and i think that there's just kind of um uh there's kind of a it is a day of reckoning for social media uh i, I know there's a lot of politicians on the the so the so-called so conservative i'm not really sure what they're trying to conserve uh that are jumping ship the parlor which is great go like all the all the people that want to be like that's their way of thinking have at it. Go somewhere else. That's that's what I think. I don't think, and I'm also getting like equally frustrated with this whole First Amendment argument. <laughs> yeah, um, I think most people would be honestly shocked to discover that Facebook and Twitter uh, are not, you know, a street sidewalk or you know, um, your personal diary, like, right. They don't have to let you post anything up there. You agree to their terms and conditions when you create an account. That little box that you have to check says that they get to ultimately decide whether or not what you post, you know, they, they outline what the terms are. And if, right. it, if they feel that it doesn't fit within that, and I mean, come on, like Facebook has been one of the least like censoring, you know, platforms out there like Mark Zuckerberg 
has been just sitting back hoping that somebody would go, you know what, we should really just stop posting these fake news on Facebook. Even though it's really effective in driving our message, it's not the right thing to do. Well, they, they insist they're not a publisher. And as long as they, they insist they're not a publisher, it's not something that, um, it's not their fault, right? Uh, yeah, they they don't, they are not <laughs> liable for it. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, uh, the markets are reporting that Facebook lost $60 billion in two days because people are, are not going to advertise on Facebook. Uh, Coca-Cola, probably the largest. They're not, they're actually pulled out of all their social media spend for the year and for the year, not just the month of, uh, July. But if I'm being honest, who needs social media to advertise? You know, it, yeah. it's a, it's a bait and switch in my opinion. Well, okay. So when you say who needs social media to advertise, do you mean purchase digital advertising on social media platforms? Okay. So not, having a social media presence no I, so yeah just okay i just put, wanted to make yeah. sure i was understanding yeah yeah have a social media presence if that's what you feel but the, the whole advertising thing is kind of um it's interesting because i mean facebook has been you know for those of you uh that do follow uh, that are still on social media uh which i'm sure most of you are uh and follow us on facebook you'll see that we uh, well if you follow us on Facebook, then you know that we have a Facebook page. So um, <laughs> what I'm getting at here is that when I share stuff on our Facebook page, uh, I always get these lovely little notifications on the Chris and Andre show page. And it's like, hey, did you know that this post could reach 363 more people? You know, boost it. And we'll even give you a $10 credit to try it out. And I mean, there's been times... When I was kind of like, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what the ultimate result is, right? Do we get, right. do we get the type of engagement that we want? Is that is all is all Facebook marketing all that it's cracked up to be, right? Is kind of like what I keep asking myself because as somebody <laughs> that spent a lot of time in digital marketing but never actually did paid advertising on Facebook, right. like I've always heard, oh my god, Facebook's amazing, but I've never I've never done it, right? Um, and I, but at the same time, it's like, so I see that and I kind of want to do it, but I'm just like, no, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be that post in somebody's feed. That's like, Hey, you know, you should check out the Chris and Andre show because these are two real guys talking about real things. Cause that's the kind of stupid copy I'd probably write. Or I'd put one of my <laughs> right. silly jokes in there and be like, you know, like, Hey, why did the, you know, why did the two melons have a big wedding? Because they can't elope. Uh. crickets <laughs> crickets crickets <laughs> yeah i yeah you're not wrong i mean i i just don't get it i think if 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 social media is going to be a thing which i'm i'm sure for right now it seems to be that way then it shouldn't be a a, a bait and switch on consumers yeah, I mean, I think a little, and I think to some degree you've seen efforts like GDPR and stuff like that trying to, I guess, provide a little bit more transparency or a little bit more of a, you know, like uh, a stronger position for consumers to take. You know, that it's not enough to say, hey, I'm leaving and I'm going to, you know, I want to like close my account. 
because those people have historically just held on to all of that data, right? You right. close your account, you're, they don't have to delete any of that. Well, now the GDPR rule, at least in the EU, uh, says that, you know, like, hey, if I email you and say I'm leaving and I or I, I want you to remove or anonymize all of the data that you have on me, they have to comply within a certain amount of time, um, yeah. which is great. You know, like I think like that is the type of thing that should have always existed. I think the push to be more transparent, but it's the same thing that we're running in. Like, I think what we're ultimately going to do is be in the same position we got with like terms and conditions, right? Where everybody sees the we, I, yeah, I accept cookies. Yeah. Cookies. Yeah. Cookies. Yeah. Not taking the time to actually click the, you know, these are what your actual options are. I did that recently on a site where I, you know, joined, and it was one of these sites where I didn't feel super comfortable just being like, sure, yeah, whatever, you can bother me all the time. And so I checked to see what the options were for the cookie stuff, and I found out I could actually uncheck almost every single one of those things for them to to track what I was doing on their site. And now whether know, or not they actually do that, obviously, is another question. But, but you know, they, they aggregate all that information and they sell it prior to even they, they anonymize it. But you can still probably in with some. There's a way to make money off of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With some degree of confidence, figure out who you are as a spender. Well, you could um, always, you know, do things like, well, if I know what company you work at. Right. Right. I could build some sort of system that would let me go, okay, well, I think I know what most of the email formats for this company are, and I know what your first and last name are and that you work at this company, so here's 15 different you know, versions of an email address that might get through to this person, and then I'm just going to send them all and see which one gets through. The reason why there's silence... <laughs> I mean, what type of an organization uh, would I'll, stoop to that level? <laughs> yeah. Their name is... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I gotta make sure I go back and bleep that out. <laughs> and we used to work there. And that's the type of stuff they did. <laughs> What's great is, again, probably... You, uh, you, know, a, you know, getting well, like, last time not. I think a couple episodes back, you said you're going to edit something out. You did not edit it out. Did I not? Oh, <laughs> my apologies. Do it, I need to go back it. and fix it? No, nah, it's fine. Okay. It's fine. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my uh, scrubbing through episodes is probably not the best. <laughs> yeah, we might want to. Yeah. We, pay special attention to that one Put yep. a all right all right i'm making a note yeah, right we work there and that's what they do and, and you know i i think that there's a you know just think the the wave of things that companies have to navigate now um whether that be you know discrimination in the workplace whether that be some type of ethical practices um you know pinterest is actually fighting off lawyers because they're getting you know, there's a lot of accusations about that place now. It's just, it's bananas. Um, and I'm personally grateful for it as a black man in America. And my, my stint in tech, eh, um, it's, it's not the friendly place people like to believe it is. 
if I'm being honest. I would say that's putting it rather mildly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I am with you that I like, I'm glad that, you know, that like a light is kind of being, sh- I guess, shine shown, shown, yeah. shown on these dark corners that have kind of been hiding for a while where I think people like you and I who have worked just in the industry in general, it doesn't take much to figure out that that kind of behavior is just rampant, you know, like it. And I mean, hell you experienced it firsthand uh, on more than one occasion, right? Like it's just, and, and we worked at a relatively small organization. So, I mean, you add more people, right? you're just more likely to have more of that shit going on if you're not doing anything to actually like i don't know i guess not even like monitor but like make sure the people that you hire are good people aren't racist (laughs) (laughs) how hard is it to hire good people i mean it's not that complicated yeah um and i've got a lot of experience with hiring and dehiring people so um it's not that complicated. And I, you know, no hard feelings, but I'd love uh, to tell somebody you've been dehired. <laughs> We're going to unhire you. Uh, I know it's been six years, but we've just decided that it's not going to work out. It's not, yeah, it's not a good relationship. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that um, just that industry itself, it gets a lot of good press because people love hanging out with smart people and a lot of the things that that come out of silicon valley and you know rtp they're you know and other places it's really cool yeah but you you wouldn't guess that underneath you know when you move the furniture around it's no different than everywhere else so and i guess why why there was always this belief you know that the tech industry would somehow be different you know like i I mean, it wasn't different when it started, right? Like, it wasn't the internet itself didn't help. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> so why, why you would think that? I yeah, I just I don't know. It's um. It's time for politics. It's okay. It's it's fine. It it. I think that. As long as we get to a point in the country where we're going to do something different and really mean it, I watched a uh, a documentary about 1968 on CNN the other night, mm-hmm. and they were not lying when they said they're going to play every episode. I had to go to bed at like one o'clock. Uh, I was like, I'm Did getting you finish tired. it at that point, or no? Okay. There was probably there was probably one or two left, and we're the country's not in the same unrest as it was in 1968 but it's pretty damn close i mean yeah i um you know it's interesting because i you i'm trying to remember who it was that i was listening to um i think it was bomani because that's that's who i'm always almost always listening to when i'm in the car these days um and he was talking about Martin Luther King Jr. and was saying, you know, like, and it wasn't his quote, but somebody had said it after he was killed that, like, basically, you guys fucked up. Like, 
he was the only one of us that thought you actually had the opportunity to be better and that that's all he asked of you. Like if you slapped him or spit on him, he didn't hit you back. He just sat there and said, you can be better. Like, I know you can. And the fact that they went out of their way to, to assassinate him because they were so scared of what it would mean to let black people have a leader like that continue to help them. And, but then I look at it and I go, are things that different now? You know, I mean, 50 years later than they were then. Did, did that ultimately achieve its goal of stopping that momentum? You know, like what? I, I was talking to my mother a while ago and, um, I think we just, you know, black people as a culture, we just got really complacent because we moved to the suburbs. <laughs> so, you know, um, I was talking to my sister today. Same thing. It's and it's not that the struggle is not real. It's just that you, when you get a moment to try to breathe, you take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, and then I, I guess in some lights we got really complacent. Um, and that's just the reality of it. There's, there's no ifs and buts about it. It's just that we started to kind of like, huh, we can take a breath. And then with the election of President Obama, a lot more people felt like, all right, well, maybe things are going to get better. I think for a lot of people who, you know, I think had been wanting, you know, for that momentum to continue and for there to 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 confer because i mean i you know i not equality but it's just like just continued change you know that that was some like momentous shift right that that finally a black man had been elected president in the united states and it's like i you know, I've been struggling recently because as much as I, I still think, I mean, I, there, no doubt in my mind, Obama was a, President Obama was so much better than what we have right now. I mean, leaps and bounds. Um, and really probably significantly better than what we had before, right? Just in terms of, of an overall leader, right? right. Um, but there's some arguments to be made that the overall policies and stuff that were enacted during his presidency were garbage. Yeah. We're not very good. Right. Like there's plenty I'll of color evidence like of it this. is, but you're being real yeah. nice. I'm, I am being very nice here. They were garbage. I like, no, you know, no offense to president Obama, but like, but here's, here's my, here's where I always struggle is because I, I understand the, the need for federal leadership. I still believe that a lot of the responsibility falls in the, at a, at a local level. Yeah. Like I, I just can't, nobody can prove me. Well, you could try, but it doesn't make sense to think that, you know, we can get all these changes that we, yeah, we can have federal guidelines. Yeah. We can incentivize states to do X, Y, and Z. But the reality is a lot of this stuff is local. It's not something that, happens at uh the federal level um so i i I always you know i'm actually gonna pro i will be doing this at some point like i i'm you know i'm up on this whole can we stop saying the democrats are the party of minorities because it's it's just bothers me yeah um it 
it's not even technically true. <laughs> and then when I was watching the 1968 documentary, it even it reflects that much harder on it. Like George Wallace was a Democrat until uh, like the mid 60s or, or late 60s. Uh, Jesse Helms, same thing. Um, Nixon was a the the Republican Party was softer as far as racism goes until the Southern Democrats migrated from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. Right. And so that's why I'm stuck on what what are conservatives conserving? <laughs> like I don't understand. Like, yeah, it is um I think it is because it almost becomes less about r- real conservative politics, right? Because when you talk about conservative politics, at least in my mind it's not necessarily about well this is a good program or it's not a good program. It's more about like how it's operated, right? Like, right. you know, do we just dump a bunch of money at it on one end? Do we throw so much money at it that it can have that essentially there's no way it isn't successful, right? That even in the face of, you know, ridiculous adversity and huge corruption that people still benefit from it somehow, right? Or that we give it no money. <laughs> we give them like a dollar and they have to figure out how they can, you know, bootstrap it up from that point. And if they can survive, then good for them. That's a great program that we'll keep around. And if they can't, then it wasn't meant to be. And I know that there's, it's not, but it just, those are the extremes obviously, but the conservatism and liberalism in my mind was much more about from much more financial almost than it was, on social issues. Yeah, and at some point it's like everything got flipped and it became so much more about the social issues that we as a country became divided on what was the right side of these social issues and that's that's the thing that I guess I still struggle with is it's like how can you be a sane person and sit here and and still be on that side of these issues. And I, and I I don't really um I don't have an argument to that. The only thing I can say, because I, I think and respect most people's opinions, um, if they can tell me what they are with some type of logic behind it. So I'm like, oh, that's that's cool. I, I get it. I may not necessarily agree, but eh, whatever. Where I where I disagree or the people, the group I or the segment, I would be like, no, you're full of it. Or anybody that says they're a Christian. Like, and I'm just like, you can't have it both ways. No. You literally can't. Like, there's nothing that you're saying to me that makes me feel comfortable about what you're saying right now. Uh, it's like watching Mike Pence at this mega church in Dallas with a choir of a hundred people. It's like packed, and nobody's wearing a mask. At the same time, Texas is struggling with the coronavirus right now. I mean, and just, the CDC has essentially taken up the position of, yeah, we kind of blew that, and there's not really anything we can do for you anymore. But again, it goes back to the states. It and does. The, what, I mean, yeah, what, like ultimately because the states were the ones who decided to open up, right? The curveball that I'm struggling with now is that these people that are uh, that have made a mask a position, right? Yeah. A political well, position. again, right? Politicizing what is ultimately a social issue. Uh, or a matter of social. Well, okay, social. Or it's social in my mind because it's ultimately like you're you are not necessarily impacting yourself. Like the mask is not there to protect you. The masks are there to protect everyone else in the event that you maybe 
contagious and not know it. Right. right? It's a public safety. It's a public safety issue. Right. It's not it's no different. You know, and I've heard the argument about a seatbelt. But here's where, like, I, I, I kind of just say, all right, just stop having the argument. Some people, you can't change that special type of stupid. Yeah. And they've decided that, you know, that's the route they want to go. Fine, so be it. But then you watch the issues they're passionate about, and they lose their crap. Yeah. Oh, what about my, my rights? Yep. So you're the same person that's going to have a hissy fit about abortion. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's the same people that were complaining that they couldn't go back into public, right? It's the same, you know, open NC, open California, whatever it was. It's the same group of people that are now saying they don't want to wear masks in a lot of cases. And I don't understand how you think you can have it both ways. You can't just pretend like the virus is gone and go back to daily life and just, it's not like, I know that. Because it's not a tangible threat in their mind. No, it's not. And I mean, the worst thing we did was tell people that the mask wasn't going to protect them. Yep. If we'd have just let people think, no, you wear a mask to protect yourself when you go out in public. Like, that's what you do. I mean, my my colleagues that I work with over in Hong Kong and in and in mainland China where this freaking stuff originated, right? Like they're at the point now because in general in Hong Kong, like people wear masks most of the time, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> there's just a lot of crazy shit in Hong Kong. Um, but especially when all of this stuff came out, like they were ready, you know, like they right. started wearing masks and it was like nobody was. And that's I'm not talking about like mainland China. I'm talking about Hong Kong, where they're still generally free and independent, despite Beijing's best efforts. Are they? Yeah, I'm gonna say, are they? <laughs> but they still I mean, it's not it's not the same level as like mainland China. Right. Like right. there is a different and they are not dealing with the same crap that we are. Right. It's not. And and the fact that people just don't seem to understand that you cannot go about your life as usual and expect there to be no repercussions because it's the same people that when they get sick are going to be pissed off about it, you know? Yeah, I, and I love to see all these Karens and Kens. <laughs> Those are the funniest names. Oh, my God, the couple in Missouri? <laughs> oh, dude. With the, dude. with the rifle and the handgun? Did you notice that they were pointing the guns at each other at one point? Oh, yeah. He, he, I mean, and he didn't have his finger on the trigger for the majority of the video. She was walking around with her finger on the freaking trigger. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, where are our gun safety nuts? Where's the NRA in this going, yeah, I, we support their right to have guns, but that woman has absolutely no idea what she's doing in terms of gun safety. I'm sorry. Like, that is your job as an organization that is founded on freaking guns. Like, Gun safety should be number one. That's what you tout all the time is that if you're safe with guns, guns aren't dangerous. Great. These idiots aren't safe with guns. And yet I bet the NRA has a poster of these two in every freaking office across this country already. Oh, yeah, because they're they're protecting their second. I mean, that's the Second Amendment is like this one of the most misconstrued amendments in the freaking Constitution. Well, yeah. And, and that's people are- in large part, thanks to the NRA. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, but, they spent yeah. so much money. I mean, which was largely funded by the gun companies because they didn't want to go out of business. Like, the, I also saw this this article that a church uh, actually gave out an AR-15 during church service. So they had this contest 
it blew my mind. I was like, wow. It was actually in Albany and Albany upstate, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I was like, you did what? You're handing out guns in church. This is proof that there are rednecks everywhere. Oh, oh you can't, you can't escape a redneck, man. No. <laughs> now, I grew up in Northern California and we have rednecks there. <laughs> now I will, I will make this one distinction. There is a, uh, and I have three levels of where I'm at. There's country boy, somebody that just is super country. Mm-hmm. There's redneck. They are probably your hunters and, and people with a lot of guns and a gun rack in the back of their truck. Then you have your hillbillies. <laughs> then you have your hillbillies. Anybody that's rocking a, a truck that's like 20 feet tall with a 40 foot antenna you have officially met hillbilly status in my mind and <laughs> breaker breaker one nine. Come on back now. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I have friends that are country boys and I rock with them. I have some friends that are rednecks. I, I, I guess I have like one or two redneck friends and they're funny, Yeah, but I don't, I don't rock with hillbillies, man. Hillbillies are too. Cause there's like, well, I mean, little... I understand that there's, there's most often uh, a very, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obvious reason for that um (laughs) yeah Uh, i I mean it's it's interesting because i think obviously being white um i don't have (laughs) i i I didn't you know like i I don't have the same i don't walk into that same situation and go like well i'm terrified that i might not walk out of here like you know what i mean like that ultimately i've met and hung out with plenty of rednecks and country boys and hillbillies um Less hillbillies than rednecks. Probably about the same amount of rednecks and country boys. Um, especially when you go to the races here in the South. Uh, NASCAR races in particular. Sports. Uh, like a couple of times. So we went to Darlington at one point, which is in South Carolina. Probably the most interesting group of people that I met. Um, so they had a pickup truck. And they had, because we, we had infield tickets that my Porter dad had Chevy. gotten somehow. And so they had a pickup truck with... Ford or Chevy? Oh, uh, pretty sure it was a Ford. Ah, oh, Pretty sure it was that, a Ford. But I'm not, I'm not you can't, can't quote me true. on that because this was like 15 years ago, <laughs> 12 years ago. Um, so they had this pickup truck. They built a platform that sat in the bed that had a ladder up the front so that they could stand on top of it and see the race. Because if you're standing in the infield, even in the bed of the truck with as big as everything's gotten now, all you can see is when they get up into the turns. Right. And so (laughs) the best parts of this story are that apparently just that year, uh, right before they came to the race, they had just added the railing to the platform because the girl with the broken leg still in a cast had fallen off at the previous race that they had gone to. They also just put a fresh coat of red paint on this railing. And in the hot, hot, you know, like summer sun that started to melt, the paint was melting on this thing. Like if you put your hand on the railing, it would just come off on your hand. It was, it was ridiculous, but I'm going to do my best to remember some of their names. Uh, I know that there was Bubba. He was a lawyer. 
Um, yeah, Bubba the lawyer. There was Cletus. Okay. I'm not joking. Wow. Uh, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Cletus had a a shirt, a T-shirt from the Gentleman's Club uh, in Raleigh. Okay. T- so he was a well-traveled H-E-E. man. Yeah, that's how you know well, tra- well traveled man. Because Cletus is a smart man and at a racetrack, he had appropriately cut the sleeves off of his shirt um, for better, you know, airing out. Oh, um, that's why I did that. Yeah. Okay. And he was going around collecting everybody's aluminum cans so he could recycle them later for cash. <laughs> I I so thought you were going to say for the environment. But... Oh, uh, the girl with the broken leg was Bubba's wife, fiance, girlfriend, sister, or something like that. Um, Leanne. She was very nice. Um, I mean, granted, they were all very nice, right? Like, they were very cordial. They invited us to join them. They invited us to come up on the platform with them so we could see the race better. Like, we heard all of these hilarious stories. Like, you know, we had a good old time. But it was very much like a tourist vacation into, you know, redneck (laughs) land. And went home afterwards and was like, well, thank God that's not what I have to put up with on a day-in, day-out basis. I mean, I, you know, I, yeah, like I said, man, I don't, I don't discriminate. Like, like, and I, I, yeah, I don't discriminate, but I tell you what, man, there is a difference and it's a different world. I'm just not ready for that world, man. I'm just, yeah, I understand. I am not. I mean, I don't, I, but I, but I can yeah. imagine that that would not be something you would want to dive into. Yeah. And I like uh, NASCAR, but like, I, I mean, I like racing. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm I like, know what you mean. Yeah. Like, yeah, wait. You don't really like NASCAR, but you Verbal like racing. Type. I know you like uh, like F1 and IndyCar and stuff like that, right? Yeah. 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 So th- this F1 driver, uh, gosh, I can't remember his name now, basically had something negative to say about uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bernie Ecclestone says black people are often more racist than white people. Even as he praises Lewis Hamilton for his driving. <laughs> <laughs> you forget like, he was black. Yeah, I was like, you know, <laughs> some of the some of the good ones, right? Um, I was like, wow, man, Bernie, like you're, you used to be that dude, man. <laughs> like, well, yeah, but, I was gonna say that name sounds really familiar. Um, it's it's funny, like everybody, like the closet racists are coming out, man. They're they're everywhere. Well, and it's, it's uh, I, I think as you and I have talked about before, right? Like, um, let them come out. Because yeah, don't hide in the closet anymore. No, there's a. I mean, really, if R. Kelly's coming out of the closet, right? <laughs> oh, gosh, <laughs> I didn't know where you're going with R. Kelly. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, I know, because you can go a lot of places with R. Kelly. <laughs> but no, I was just going back to the, that weird closet thing that he did within. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear that uh, Cam gets a one-year deal to the uh, Patriots? Yeah. Did you hear how much he signed for? No, I didn't Veteran care. Veteran minimum. <laughs> Richard Sherman almost exploded. I saw that headline too. I did not. I was doing like 20 different things. I was I like, oh, I got to get back to that. Yep. And then I saw Richard Sherman. I'm like, oh, I, gotta, oh, I really got to get back to that. Yep. Are I saw that Richard me? Sherman thing and I was like, oh, what's he upset about? And I read it and I was like, holy crap. They signed him to a one year at the veteran minimum. So that'll be interesting. 
You, you know what? You know what would be even more interesting if Belichick turns him into a good quarterback. That'd be great. I'd love nothing more. Seriously. That would like, be an opportunity. Like, that's the only thing I can think of. Maybe, you know, working with Rivera, where he had a lot of, you know, uh, leeway um, and latitude, if I'm being honest. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think if he'd if he'd have been in that or that type of organization, right, where ultimately, like, it's kind of you either get in line and you're part of this team in the way that Bill Belichick is going to have things done, and you're going to help us win, or you're not going to be here, you know. And I think given that opportunity, I think Cam would have had, you know, maybe not, maybe he would have made the wrong choice at a younger age, but like, I think he would have had at least the chance to really like focus more on football and no but, who was the other dude that was uh who's who threw for um um gosh brady for like a season or castle half a season. matt castle no after him the black um, kid a group we're not group no no, Brissett. no yeah 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 jacoby Brissett. yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah it was him yeah he played those few games and then he got hurt um but then, and then it was the off season. He got traded to Indianapolis, and then he was the starter there when Luck was hurt, and then was the starter again last year. But then he got hurt, and then they brought in Rivers this year. Yeah, where was I going with that? Um, that NC State is easily the greatest producer of NFL quarterback talent ever. Yeah, they they put him on the field very easily. We do. <laughs> we don't do anything with him when we got him. <laughs> But we send them to the league and we make them look good. We make us look bad. But, you know, it's funny. You were talking earlier about leadership at the you know federal level. And right. I kind of wonder if people look at and I think it's it's a false analogy if they look at it this way. But we're talking about sports and it makes me wonder, like, is it like, you know, calling for a head coaching change? Right. Where. Mm-hmm maybe I don't like the offense and it's really the offensive coordinator's fault that this thing is so stupid, but I'm, you know, I don't know what else to do other than to get rid of the guy that's in charge or to call for, you know, like I, or I don't understand how everything works. So I'm just going to say that the head coach needs to get fired kind of deal. You know, like, I, I don't know, maybe that's a really bad. Yeah, that's a really terrible it. analogy. Um, Considering most thank you most head coaches were OCs at one point in their career. Okay, fine. Then the defense sucks. Like I don't know. Special teams is garbage and the coach won't do anything about it. I'm just yeah, saying that the hope that right a change at the top ultimately leads to the proper changes further down the road or that somebody in charge up there. But I but I know that the right ultimately it's not a good way to look at it because the president isn't selecting who the governors are. He's not selecting right. who the House of Representatives and all that stuff is. Like he has I mean, his Life. Think about it. Like two things that just happened in recent uh, or in current events. One, Mississippi finally removed the Confederate flag from their their state flag. And boy, do they want a pat on the back for that. Yeah. Like, ooh, we oh, we don't need to publicize our racism. Okay. <laughs> you know. And and secondly, when you think about how, look at the COVID response, right? That wasn't dependent on the federal government. The federal government did a, a crap job of doing anything. Yeah. So I, I think people, they kind I don't know. It's not a bad analogy. I, I just don't understand if people are willing to ask why it's broken. You know, I think that's what it also boils down to is that people have gotten to a point where they don't really want to know, you know, I mean, think like, about I don't it. want to know how the sausage is made. 
right? I just want right. to eat it. And as long as I can continue eating my sausage and I don't notice a discernible taste difference over time, I'm probably not going to say anything, even though I've been getting more and more sawdust and less and less <laughs> high quality pork products, right? Like that's essentially, <laughs> God, yeah, I mean, this. and another thing that just happened recently was, uh, there were only four states that didn't have a hate crimes law, Georgia being one of them. They just recently passed one. So, well, I think it went to the, the governor's desk on I'm, yesterday. And I, I want to back up for just a second and say that I, it's obviously great that Mississippi is finally removing the Confederate flag from their state flag. Like, that is a good thing. They just don't deserve credit for doing it now. Like, there shouldn't yeah. be anybody that's in there in office right now there that's going like, well, we finally got this done. Like, no, unless it's, unless you've been pushing for it all along and you finally got it done, then obviously, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, apologizing for I don't know. There's no there's no excuse for. It. I mean, it's just like you're just doing your job, yeah, right. Like you can't pretend like, yeah, and, I mean, and you're, I you're doing the thing that you should be doing. Like, right. you, thank you for doing your job. Right. We had an episode titled that. <laughs> yeah, don't like apologize, I apologize, just... change the behavior. Well, they're finally yeah. changing the behavior. <laughs> Like, I I get people saying up about the Confederate flag, but they were traitors. Yeah. Like, Germany does not fly the Nazi flag anywhere in the country, as a matter of fact. It's a felony. And I guess that's the other thing that I've always kind of not understood, uh, is why you want to celebrate that, that part of your heritage. Why is that the only part of your heritage that you seem intent on celebrating, is that? that flag to some degree right like to remind you that you lost it's it's almost like being a cubs fan i mean but yeah it's like i just don't really get that like why do you want to fly that and be like yeah we may have lost but i'm still here like that's like i'm still not gonna acquiesce to your demands i'm still gonna hate black people like that's I just don't. I mean is that all it is is just a big middle finger to everybody else and that's how that's why you like it can't you just have a flag with a literal middle finger on it? I think we'd all prefer that. I I don't I yeah, I don't get the uh I don't understand the argument of southern heritage. Like I don't I really don't. I I just don't it doesn't compute my head. of it too, you know, I think is the other yeah. element of that that is hard to I mean it's hard to to come to terms with. You know, you look around where we live right and especially further south um i mean there's still massive plantations you know all over the place that have tours and stuff and it's not like they're giving tours and talking about right. you know focusing on how hard it was for the slaves that were living there at the time and what awful things they had to go through it's not like a tour through auschwitz right i mean it's like a tour through freaking disneyland i mean i'm pretty sure disneyland has a plantation don't they <laughs> They they do. I, I'm just like I I don't understand every time, and I try to be somewhat understanding of people's points of view, but I just don't understand the argument. Southern pride, like okay, but you're an American and you're celebrating traitors, like yeah. literally people that wanted to secede from the Union, and because they lost, like. They're like, all right, we and they're we, the same ones who, when somebody says, "Well, why, you know, like we should just get rid of the the, you know, all of the, we should ban the Confederate flag in the United States." Well, why don't you just move to another country? 
Like yeah. you guys literally tried that. You tried to move <laughs> yourselves to another country and you lost. And that's what this is all about. And yet we're still here talking about it. <laughs> Why don't you move to another country? <laughs> yeah, go. If you wanted to own slaves so bad, go move somewhere else where they were still legal. Yeah, or if you keep talking about, well, I'm, you know, I'm, my Anglo pride. Well, yeah. go go back to Ireland, go yeah. back to Germany, go back to Scandinavia. Like, yeah, see if they want you. They're gonna want to see your green card. <laughs> Do you have any discernible skills that you can bring? Well, I can make some it's moonshine. A- oh, turns out we already know how to make whiskey. Yeah, it's it's one of the dumbest arguments. I, I it always blows my mind. It's like, oh, you know, it, it, we have St. Patrick's Day parades. Nobody gets the tizzy. We have freaking uh, what's uh, Oktoberfest. Yeah, most I mean, of the people yeah, that we used to have Columbus Day parades until everybody yeah. realized what a stupid yeah, idea guys, that was. You remember he was like a murderer, right? <laughs> it's it just blows my mind. It um, does. And it's, I mean, uh, you know, I. It's interesting because you now you hear stuff, you know, people are talking about George Washington and, and a lot of the other founding fathers and some people well, Trump, are, well, you Trump have said to, Trump said we can get rid of the, the statues of Jesus Christ. Where are those? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> on, on, on federal property? <laughs> he, he literally said that. He goes, they're trying to tear down the statues of Jesus. I was like, no, he said Jesus Christ. I was like, yo, for real? Come on, man. Okay. Well, I hadn't heard about that. That's uh that must yeah, be on the, the one American news network that he's <laughs> and and I get Washington George Washington wasn't a you know, he wasn't a saint. Um no. it just blows it just blows my mind. I, I don't know. I you know, I it's not that I don't think it's it's even that we want to go back through history with a with a fine tooth revisionist comb. You know, I I don't. The point is not to go back and, you know, harangue the people who were there who maybe did things that we look back on and say, yeah, those aren't things that we should currently celebrate. Right. Right. And that's where I think you draw the line is that the the statues for the Confederate soldiers and the Confederate generals and those things that are littered throughout the South were done for two specific reasons. One, to try and make the South feel better about losing. And two, so that the South could point at them and go, look, black people, we still have statues. Remember when you were slaves? It's not that far long ago. And if you don't do what we want, we're going to put you right back there. And that's ultimately what that was a freaking intimidation thing. You want to hear the crappy thing about most of those statues? You know when they were built? Yeah, like in the 70s, 50s, 50s 50s and 60s, 60s, right? Yeah. So it's like. Wow. Because what was happening in the 50s and 60s? Yeah. I mean, it just, it blows my mind. And like I was saying earlier, we're not that far off from 1968. There's just not a lot of cities burning down to the ground. Um, That, you know, that's actually kind of where Donald pulled some of his playbook. He's trying to mirror Nixon. And I don't know if you've been, you know, I've been trying to cut back and watch the news because it's kind of driving me crazy. But I've noticed a lot of the GOP senators and what have you are, they're now their new thing is to quote Martin Luther King. Sure. I'm like, <laughs> yo, you guys have got to stop. I mean, if you're going to read the playbook, like make it a little bit better. 
And that's their new thing. They're all trying to quote Martin Luther King. I'm like, yeah, but you know what you're doing is is scandalous, right? Like you're on some bogus stuff. It's just hilarious to me because like of all the times to go and choose a playbook, right? To go to like a, an old playbook to pull out and to try it. You choose now and you choose that one. <laughs> like yeah, at no point during this have you talked about how you're actually going to fix the economy other than, well, it's just going to come back, you know, because that's, that's how that works. All those, <laughs> all those people that have been laid off and furloughed, they're definitely just going to magically find jobs at the, all those yeah, companies. 40, that, 48 million Americans. Good luck. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, it's mind numbing, honestly. And then I'm with you in that. Like I've, I have been consuming less and less news. Um, you know, like I'll check my Google news feed every so often just to kind of see what the headlines are. And if there's anything particularly interesting, I'll dive in. But for the most part, I've just been trying to limit my overall consumption because it, um, I just, I get frustrated again. You know, like I'm just, I get, I get, I get angry and I don't, I don't want to be angry. You know, like it's like, I can't, I can't even really help it if I listen to it too long or I read too much. And so I'm, I found like I just have to pull back. You know what my secret is, Chris? You're always angry. I'm always angry. I know. And I I I am um <laughs> I swear on my right toe, man. I hate Donald. <laughs> I really do. He makes me like I I can't even stand to see his face. It's it's that bad, bro. Like in his uh, press secretary, Good yeah, night. she's she's on the list it's, too. It's work. Well, I tell you what, that's a that's a really good point, and I think it's also maybe a good opportunity to bring in our special guest that we have joining right. us today. So, give me just one minute. Let me see if I can get this stuff uh, adjusted real quick. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to give a warm Chris and Andre show welcome to our special guest today, Mister Bob Smith. Well, I'm I'm at a little feel like I'm a little bit at an advantage because I've I've listened to your podcast and so I have uh, I have become a fan of what? of the way that you guys conduct yourselves. But uh, yeah, so any questions for me? Well, first of all, I really do appreciate um, the fact that you listen and that. Well, I'm glad you're my fan, not just your son's, because that would be kind of uh, like nepotism. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, we, yeah, we practice that as best we can. We do, not, yeah. exclusively. not exclusively. No, not to the point <laughs> that we would uh, we would admonish any opportunists that want to come <laughs> along and and join in the fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Chris and I were talking, and um, I one thing I always do, you know. I never try to ride both sides of the fence. There are some things I'm like, admittedly, eh, I can't, I haven't made a decision, but I have lost all respect for our president. And I actually call him Donald now. He drives me crazy. And um, <laughs> so I, I guess for you and at least 150 million other people, <laughs> <laughs> as a, you know, as a former card-carrying Republican, uh, 
who's now switched back full circle to Democrat. I want to get a different point of view because I, I know that it's too easy not to, to make fun of him. It's like, it's almost like he sets himself up for somebody to say something about what he does. What is, what is another perspective um, and probably, uh, and probably a less biased perspective about the state of the presidency in the country? Okay. Well, I, you know, I can only give you my perspective. It's which two things are is, is it's a, it's biased based on, on my background. It's biased based on where I grew up and I have been a conservative, but I'm in, I'm to the point where I'm embarrassed to call myself a Republican. And, and that is in that in itself, Andre is, is because I am not a fan of the two party system. Right. So you have to be for us or against us. And, you know, I mean, it's to the point now in life where it's driving families apart. And I mean, we've even had experiences where uh, family members, you know, have told other family members, well, you know, if you're going to have that attitude, don't bother coming around here anymore. And it's like (laughs) over politics. You're going to be kidding me. You right. tell family not to come around because of politics? Oh. So, you know, I I uh it's it's hard for me and I did vote for Donald Trump. Uh it wasn't because You're still loved. You're still loved. <laughs> I'm still what? He said you're still loved. I'm still loved. Yeah. Well, I, and then I'll tell you the fact that my wife still loves me, I'm lucky because she is not. <laughs> she is not a fan of the president, um, and I, I really, in my heart of hearts, although I am not a fan of Joe Biden, I was not a fan of, uh, of, I was a fan of of Barack Obama. I didn't vote for him, but right. I believed that Mr. Obama was was trying to do the right thing. What I felt in my heart is that he did not have enough credentials to really be the president. But then again, who does? Right. In this crazy system, this two-party system of how we do this, we always end up putting some guy up in front that's that the other guys spend a lot of money trying to go back and create characters out of their past that say he did this and he did that. And it's like, all right, I, I do, how do we know that any of that is true? How do we know right. that any of it is false? What's hard, though, is when you have a guy that is commander-in-chief and he doesn't know when to shut his mouth. That's the biggest single problem that I have. It's like, you said that, okay, shut up. And then when he's speaking... He likes to take the position of about a sixth or seventh grade bully on the playground of, well, you know, I mean, the name calling and the downgrading. I mean, for God's sakes, where's the humanity? Right. Where's the humanity in your personality? And then what I realized is he doesn't have any because of who he is and where he came from. He is so out of touch as many of people in Washington that come from trust funds and hand-me-downs and 
um, you know, legacy backgrounds of we'll just, well, that's his family. We'll just wisp him right in here. I mean, the Kennedys did it excellently. Yep. You know, Joe Kennedy was nothing more than a rum runner. Right. During, during prohibition. And he used that money to pay the mafia to get labor to sit behind his son to get him in the office. I mean, and that's that's the bottom line. That's the short story. Nobody wants to talk about it, but you know, and and, and I love President Kennedy. And the fact that he was assassinated was horrific. Right. He should have just gotten voted out of office. That's a, that's so, a more humane path. Yeah. Much more. <laughs> yes. So. So yeah, the Donald, is, the Donald is tough because it seems that whatever, you know, the, the Donald thinks he's on, you know, whatever the name of the, what was the name of the show, the Chris? Yeah, The Apprentice. He still thinks he's on The Apprentice. And I, right. in my heart of hearts, I feel that America's going to tell Donald in November, you're fired. We can only hope. <laughs> I, I, I am so hopeful. I, in I, fact, I, if I was, if I was, if I was going to give Joe Biden something to to uh to support i'd tell him he ought to be creating bumper stickers that say donald you're fired <laughs> and, and his constituents need to be but yeah, but here's he the thing we might do that here's yeah. here's the problem i mean even mr obama did not want joe biden to run for office in the beginning why is that why is that a secret and why is he now supporting him and now you know where I get all my conspiracy theories from. <laughs> well, not all of no, them. Not all of them. That's where I get my tendency to enjoy conspiracy yeah. theories and or, or to but, indulge in them yes. on occasion. I mean, conspiracy Apart- theories are like ghost stories, right? Yeah. So that, I think they're good. But <laughs> I and I I don't I don't disagree. Like uh, I didn't vote for in 2016. I did not vote for president because I just couldn't. I'm not a fan of the Clintons. And, um, unfortunately Don't get me started I, on him, but I mean, we'd be here for like another three hours and I would probably agree with everything <laughs> yeah, you said. Between the two of you. <laughs> I don't even have a dog in that fight. I wasn't, oh, I, I, wasted two, I wasted two votes for him to put, you know, to, you know, push forward private prisons to, you know, steamroll. Uh, the financial inequalities in the inner cities. There's a lot of things where I can just feel like, yeah, that guy's a he's a he's a piece of work. Well, you know, it's uh, interesting just because the that was supposedly from something that I was I was listening to recently. Clinton's administration was really kind of the, a big shift in in where the Democratic Party kind of put their eggs. Right, it had yep. for a long time been in some of the in the minority groups and in the underserved communities to try and give them a voice. And that was kind of their calling card. Right. And I think to some degree they kind of came off as, you know, like hippies, right. There were a bunch of pacifist hippies and the strong armed Republicans could just kind of bulldoze them over. And that wasn't going to be any real issue. Well, then Clinton gets elected and what does he do? He's all NAFTA and private prisons. And so who benefits from that stuff? The corporations. And that's where all the money started coming into the Democratic Party from corporations. And then you end up, you know, with uh, eventually with, you know, Citizens United and all this other stuff that goes through that essentially just steam, you know, rolls the path for them to and just immensely influence what's going on in Washington and in the political parties. Yeah. So you're right. And I I, but the thing with um, 
And Donald, Donald had shown his character so many times. And I'm a New Yorker, you know, and I, I kind of was trying to be forgiving. I was still a registered Republican. I really haven't seen big government work ever. ever. I, I've seen the opposite of what the promise big government gives black people and minorities is BS. And I'm anti that. And I think if you were to put opportunity back into a lot of these neighborhoods, you wouldn't see crime. You know, I get so pissed off when I hear that one side argument of what about black on black crime? Well, FFS. Put banks in those neighborhoods, give people out, you know, stop ripping the schools out of those neighborhoods, give people opportunities to start a small business and afford them the same opportunity at an SBA loan like everybody else in the suburbs. And then you would see that you know crime would go away eventually, but when you strangle a when you strangle a community, there's not a lot of options. Well, um, I and and I I grew up watching that happen. I'm a native of Detroit. God bless you. <laughs> and it's a great great place to be from. I'm right. very fond of the city of Detroit. I'm very fond of the memories that I have. So in uh, eighth grade. See, I'm going to try to pick a year. So eight on top of uh, six is 14. Mm -hmm. So 49 and 14, 55. 63. 63. Yeah. That's why he's got me here to do the math. It's already had a bath. So what I'm saying is in eighth grade, Andre, I I and a a number of friends, eighth graders, right? We're talking about boys that are 12, 13 years old would get on a bus from the suburbs. We'd go all the way downtown. We'd change buses twice, go all the way downtown to Grand Circus Park. We would go down to Grand Circus Park. We would play in Grand Circus Park. We'd go to the river. We'd walk along the river. We'd go to the Coney Island. Uh, you know, we'd w- walk by and giggle at the burlesque shows. We'd <laughs> go to the Fox Theater. Uh, I saw Ben-Hur at the Fox Theater in, in, in its opening debut. And we were going all day. And nobody ever worried about where I was or what I was doing. And nor were we ever or did we ever feel threatened. Right. And what happened is the white community abandoned the city of Detroit. Along with the corporations, along with the automotive corporations. GM had its tech center. They moved out from downtown. Chrysler moved out of the Chrysler building. They moved out to Highland Park. And then they moved out to Rochester. Ford Motor Company didn't really have anything downtown, stayed in, but they didn't do anything to support the city of Detroit. I mean, the Rouge plant that was Henry's dream, where all the cars were made, I mean, that that was a workman's dream. But unfortunately, as the suburbs grew, everybody sort of left the city of Detroit to its own making. And unfortunately, through a series of very poor choices that, that given the minority communities to make on who's going to be mayor, they had one crook after another. I mean, this guy, Kwame. Kwame Brown, right? No. no um, um, the last the last mayor of Detroit. I mean, it, I'm sorry, it started with Coleman Young. His nickname, in his, it was, his name was Coleman King Young. His nickname was Young King Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm sorry, but he was all about him and his cronies. He got lined up with Congressman Diggs, the funeral people. They they had a stream of money coming for programs for Detroit. 
none of those programs had money ever saw the street. And so right. you have this blight of nothing but abandoned buildings for miles and miles. In fact, at one point, it stretched from just outside of the core center of downtown all the way almost to uh, all the way to I-94, which is almost to Dearborn. And it's like, what are you going to do with that? Well, what you do is you go in and you bulldoze everything that's blight, right? And you plant corn. Because then the crack dealers and the drug addicts got no place to hide. Right. That was the program, in my opinion, that would have saved Detroit. Now they have a lot of people that are coming back because it's popular to save Detroit. You got companies that are downtown, you got people that are buying property. I'm so glad to see it. But it's but where are they put where are those people that live there going? That's the that's always the the other side of the coin. So sure. we go and we go and gentrify Detroit and I live in a small, just for the record, I live in a small town called Baldwin outside of uh, Battle, uh, Battle Creek, like many years ago, but love Michigan. But where do those people go, right? They're, they can't afford the suburbs. Then you're right. going to No, I, I, I agree with you totally. It's, it's just, it's an endless cycle of, I don't know. I, I just, I, that's why I don't, I'm not very like optimistic about big government because we can't, nobody, Nobody's proven to me that it works. I want to be hopeful that it can work because every state is sequestered of, of so much money every every month and day and, and minute of their, of, their, of their life. But it never, the system is so broken and corrupt, it doesn't get fixed. And what I see now is that people are coming out of the closet of being as hateful as they want to be. You know, the, the, the hypocrisy in government is making it worse. It, it's just we're. I think the American dream has never been more of a myth than what it is in 2020. And, I can't disagree with you. And I and I, unfortunately, and I don't have a lot. Unfortunately, Donald Trump gets a lot of my hatred for that because <laughs> he is he squeezed and manipulated the GOP to a shell of itself. Yes. And well. So I, 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 that's, that's a great, great place for me to just interject. So one of the books that I read years ago, uh, I am, I'm a big fan of leadership from Detroit from years ago. And one of my heroes is a guy by the name of Lee Iacocca. Yeah, I was just going to mention, yeah, he's a great guy, <laughs> big fan. So I am a fan of Henry the uh, second, who's, who's formerly the deuce. Uh, you know, Henry did, Henry took, uh, took charge of Ford Motor Company um, from Henry the First, and uh, you know, in a shadow of all the things that were going wrong, he fixed it. He fixed it. He fixed it and made it to where it is today. Right. Um, the, the the I guess the point that I'm making is that Lee Iacocca's book is called "Where Have All the Leaders Gone," and. So I have it now on audiobook, and I use it to go to sleep or I use it if I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't go to sleep. I use it to help me to help calm my nerves because it, to me, it's a voice of reason. Right. But I mean, he goes on and on about, you know, the, oh, the gland hatting and the back, you know, the back slapping and the corruption that's going on, not only in government, but in corporate America. 
He goes, how do these guys get, a, you know, used to be the CEO of a company worked for the board of directors. Right. Now a CEO puts his own board together. That's how he comes up with these golden parachute, these $200 million bailouts. If something goes wrong and you fire me, are you kidding me? He, he asked the question, how can somebody get fired and then get rehired when his name's all over the paper for doing such a lousy job? And I, it's a it's a great read or a great listen if you're inclined. But on that, I but wrote that it down. Old, but that old school adage of you know he was an Italian immigrant family. They right. worked hard. You know he was fortunate enough to go to good school. Um, parents paid for it, but they didn't come from a rich family. They came from a working right. family. And work is what work is what built this country. Uh, feeling really old school. And unfortunately, work is what's been taken away. And that's the reason that we don't have a middle class anymore. It used to be fine to get up in the morning, go to work at seven, get off at three, carry a lunch pail. You know, I you'd wear some jeans. You did a little work in the factory or you did some work in a, in a technical job. You know, that was great living. That's where the middle class came from. Right. But then somewhere in the 70s, Everything was about everybody had to have a master's or a doctor's degree to get a job. Well, so something else that you and I have talked about and that Andre and I have talked about on the podcast before, and I think it, it kind of ties in with what we've been discussing, is unions, right? Uh, and oh, credit, right? I mean, oh, we I, talked I've, about... heard, I've heard Andre's opinion <laughs> on the unions. So we've talked about corruption and government and corporations and... As much as unions are often kind of, I think, put up as a, you know, a, an example of what people should be doing in order to kind of, you know, take away control from corporations. I think time and time again, when you look at any either current or past examples, really, like they end up with the exact same problems. I mean, corruption, like, and that's something that coming from Detroit. You know, I know in working in the automotive industry, you had hands-on experience with union workers and, and with uh, the unions whole life, yeah. in, in general. Right. So right. I thought maybe that would be some interest to get some perspective from somebody that... Yeah, tell me, tell me something good about unions, Bob. <laughs> well, you know what? What I can tell you good about the unions, Andre, is that it's, it's a, it was a, a lesson in history. You got to remember where they started from. They started as guilds, right? And they started back in the Renaissance because what was happening to the artisans, whether it was art or craftsmen or anybody that had a, a physical skill, uh, typical today, the rich were ripping them off. So they formed these guilds and these guilds bound these people together and they, they, they established standards, if you will, for labor and standards for, I mean, it was price fixing, if you want to say that, but it was more for the hourly worker. If I had a skill level and I was a, a master bricklayer, that I should get paid more than a scumbag bricklayer. Yeah. And, and, and therefore, the guilds had enough to where when things were built and they were government and religious projects, because the church built almost everything in Italy, in half of Europe, when they would do this, they would use those standards to say, well, you know, we have to have good quality craftsman labor. We can't be doing, we can't be building this with apprentices. Right. Um, and then where it, where it got 
here, where it got really nasty, was back in the days of, uh, of the early industrialization, 1800s, is when the separation from labor and management really became highly visible. And I'll just add that was before my time. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> you know, but you had, you had the Rockefellers running around. You had Carnegie's running around. You had Edison running around. And they were manipulating industries to create wealth. And they were doing it on the back of poor, the poor labor guy, the hourly worker or the, the wage worker. And so the unions came in initially in order to set at least a, a safety standard and a work standard and a wage standard to help because the worker couldn't negotiate with management. Right. So right. the union bosses, were, that was their job to negotiate with management, and they totally fucked it up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what they did is they got guys like Hoffa in there that yep. felt, and he was a strong teamster. He built a huge union, loyal people. But then he started feeling he wasn't the head of the union. He was fucking king of the world. Right. And the mafia showed him the door to eternity. I mean, well, so unions, I think they've outlived their existence. Yeah, the noble the noble journey of unions. And I, I, that's my point. And it's like, at a certain level, they make sense. They made sense at a certain time in history. Where we are now, they don't make sense. And the ones I hate the most are public servants. How the hell can a public servant work for a union? It just, well, I, and Chris, I agree with that statement. That's bullshit. Yeah, that, that is just, that is the most asinine thing I've ever heard of in my life. Um, Chris sent me an article about the freaking uh, lifeguard Sorry. system in New York. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. You know? so they, so, basically, the story is that they've had the same guy, I think his name is Bob Stein, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, has been running their union there for the last 40 plus years, despite the fact that there have been multiple investigations into him changing stories about drowning victims, like rampant sexual assault, like drugs, you know, like you all it. sorts. I mean, just yeah. massive corruption, all directed from his position on down. And the guy is still collecting a freaking paycheck. $145,000. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, $175,000. Yeah. He's king of the lifeguards. He's He's yeah. not head, he's king. Yeah. That's what a king does. A king rules. Uh, doesn't doesn't have anybody to answer to. And and that that's where I, I always get frustrated. I, yeah, I I get it, right? But I'm the, I also believe if a company's doing a terrible job, they should fail. Oh yes. Hand, hands down. There right. there should be no no bailouts. No, I mean if they can if they can file bankruptcy, great. But after that, if you can't run your own company, Sorry, you got you lost. I mean, small business lives with that day to day. Yep. Even through COVID virus. Yep. You don't qualify. You don't qualify for COVID funds. You don't qualify for pandemic assistance. Uh, we're, you're closed because you can't serve beer in your bar and you own a bar. Then guess what? You fail. Sorry about that. Yep. I mean, but, but personally, the government I, I, and the politics, because of the continued cash flow. That's through the lobbyists. Now, that, that is the solid number one thing that I would love to challenge Donald Trump on 
in a conversation is during his campaign, one of the reasons that I voted for him, and I remember this as clear as day, he said, when I'm elected president, we will have a moratorium in Washington for lobbyists. (laughs) What a fucking liar. I don't want to laugh at you, Bob, but did you believe that was actually going to happen? <laughs> no, but I but I had hope. Yeah. It gave me hope. Because, I mean, and I certainly couldn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I, I agree. And my, my, the problem is, is you gave, that nobody gave me a good choice. You know, I had to vote for one or the other or throw my vote away on some libertarian guy that wasn't going to get elected anyways. Or right. stay home, which is even worse. The apathy of people just saying, I'm staying home. I'm not no, going to vote. Vo- I'll tell you this. I voted My vote for everybody. doesn't count. I voted for everybody but president. Well, I, I, I just I mean, like my. That's your, my, that's your, that's your right. And, and that's, and, and, you know, when you talk about it, it's probably a solid move. Yeah. The, the thing that, that Lee Iacocca talked about in his book again, and because it's fresh on my mind, is, you know, in some countries, Voting is not only a right, it's a duty. Yeah. It's your duty as a citizen to go pull the switch for an elected official. You don't get the option to sit out. And I don't think that's such a bad idea. <laughs> I I want to ask you a question, and maybe you can give me a unique perspective on it. What do you think about um, this whole misconception about how politics works where people are looking for for top-down leadership as opposed to bottom-up because the the short version for me is i really don't give a crap who the president is i'm more concerned about my state and local representatives like the governor and and people that cover my state because they're going to impact my day-to-day well before the president will and the the caveat to that is how do we keep getting a Tom Tillis in office? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. So how is it that the representation that we're, that, that probably reflects the values of the, of the state are never reflected in federal government? And why do people keep working top down as opposed to bottom up? I, I don't have a clear answer, but I mean, I agree that it's, you know, you, you want leadership, in every position, because you want people that that are thinking, you're thinking strategically. That's <clears throat> that's one of the things that a lot of these guys aren't doing, because they're they're strategically not thinking about what's the impact going to be, what's the trickle down going to be. They're only thinking about how do I get reelected, right? Um, so I think in terms of redoing the political system. I think you need to start with you need to start with term limits so that this federal and state <clears throat> even local politics that it isn't the ongoing career that it has been. Nobody needs to be senator for 50 years. I'm sorry. Amen to that. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Uh, so so how could he possibly get anybody else's perspective? You know, anybody that's in there for any length of time gets set in their ways. They get their cronyism going because it's less work for them. It's comfortable. They know where the money's coming from. They have their supporters. 
And then what they get is they get corporate contributions from people that want stuff done that they can legislate. And that's where it, and if they don't do it individually because a corporation doesn't have it, then they do it unified through a lobby organization. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I've actually seen that and I've seen it work for the, for what I feel is the good of an industry. I mean, I've watched the SEMA Specialty Equipment Marketing Association, which <clears throat> is every speed, hot rod, wheel, tire manufacturer in the world, including all of the automotive manufacturers belong to it. I've watched their lobby effort stop some legislation in Washington that would have killed the hot rod industry. I mean, they were going to make it so that you brand new car came from the factory. You couldn't modify the tire size on it. You couldn't change wheels, tires. You couldn't change exhaust. You couldn't change that from the way the factory made it. They've tried to pass laws where if you modified the car, factory wasn't responsible for the warranty. And thank God the Magnuson Act, you know, stopped that bullshit. So, so but, but those are two competing, like even with that example, those are two com competing um industries going against each other is it the the, the safety nuts yes. versus the the car industry well safety is safety is 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 not against what we do in other words the the and i say we because i'm i've been a i've been a member and i am a supporter of the sema group s-e-m-a for the last 20 25 years um they do not try to cut short the safety aspects of it. Okay. Um, in fact, just the opposite. What we're trying to do is we're rallying for, for safer vehicles. I mean, you know, it gets controversial because some of us would like to limit the height that a pickup truck can be raised to. Oh, me too. I don't, I don't think anybody needs a 16-inch lift kit on a, on a Ford 650 truck going down a road with tractor uh, wheels and tires on it. It's, it's uns if he runs over something, that's what he's going to do. He's going to flatten it. Yep. You know, so, but there, but we don't, we don't, it's, it's not a perfect world. We don't get all that stuff done, but less I, I get off track, you know, I've seen some lobbying efforts that have, have been beneficial to some industries. And what I don't like is I don't like the cronyism deals. Right. I don't like the deals. I don't like sitting here and looking at the history of what Dick Cheney did as vice president slash president of the United States. Right. And what he did for Halliburton. Oh, I'm sorry. I've resigned my position. Yeah, but you sure made a lot of money when you were vice president of the United States, didn't you? And for him to say, how dare they? How dare they? Well, and I think that's a lot of what we're going to see at the end of, you know, Trump's presidency too, you know, is that all of the money that he and his family have kind of been secretly making behind the scenes, you know, through deals that they've worked or, you know, whatever stuff that they've been working with international governments, you know, just because of his position, that a lot of that is ultimately going to come out. And I'm hoping that history is not kind, you know, to him for those kinds of things, but you never know. Well, he pissed off Iran because they, they actually want Interpol to arrest him for the murder of their general. So um, I think he's going to be country bound for, for just a little bit until hopefully they forget. Uh, but you're, you're not wrong. Um, 
And, and I agree. I think lobbying can, can be a good thing. But I also, I've seen it go south also uh, with, for example, with the PPP, right? Um, right. And the, I, I won't even, I won't even go into my own personal nightmares with like, <laughs> way to botch that government. But I, well, they, I, they, they gave away how many trillions of dollars and did it get in the hands of the people that need it? Not so much. Hey guys, look, I'm just going to say American dream, my ass. So uh, I watched, I read this article from uh, the wall street journal of how McDonald's, they were getting a lot of heat about, you know, how, how they were actually helping the, how they should have done things with uh, franchise or their stores or their employees. Nobody ever talks about the fact that 85% of McDonald's are franchise. So McDonald's lobbied to get all their franchisees in front of the list for PPP. That was a, you know, just so as a small business person, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You helped them out because that what could have been a nightmare. But you jumped in front of the line, basically. You you literally jumped in front of the line. Um, sure. So I'm on the fin- I am on the fence about that. Did they help out where they could? Yeah. Could it have been more broad for other restaurants? Possibly so. Um or I think to you know the point that you and I talked about previously have different packages for the different groups, you know? Like yeah. it's fine if you need to provide some support to, you know, franchisees of multi-million dollar corporations that already that have people in place that can essentially build a system to help them sign up for that stuff, right? But you shouldn't allow that advantage to be the one identifier, essentially, that means that they get money versus the mom and pop shop down the street that needs it just as bad, if not more, than they do. Yeah. And that's why anybody that's listening, never open up a a restaurant in the United States. It's a terrible idea. (laughs) Run as far and as fast as you can. What you need to open if you want to make some money is you need to open up a savings alone. Yeah. Because we know they'll bail you out. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you get big enough. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I've been thinking about, um, so Robert Smith, uh, he's a black billionaire, made a lot of his money on Wall Street. Uh, I still don't give him a lot of credit for paying uh, the student's tuition because he double dipped and I'm anti-double dipping. But He's actually trying to figure out ways to revitalize banking in underserved areas. And when you start to do the math on how our system works, it all starts with capital. And we've played this shell game for the last 25 years on how capital gets established in a community. And we live in like Wake County's kind of Disneyland, as long as you're in the center of part, center of the part of the county. Well, actually, that's not true. Except for Southeast Raleigh, it's Disneyland. Count how many banks you start to see in your neighborhoods. If you want to see how that game plays out, count how many banks you see. And if you ever drive on your way back to Raleigh, if you take the long way, count how many banks you see. It's a crippling game where they've actually, they figured a way to funnel money through national banks, not a lot of the small banks. Um, they're... Credit unions are uh, are a dying breed. They're actually closing more branches and consolidate, consolidating them into uh, more of the county seats. But as the banks close, watch what happens to communities. And I will be impressed to see if 
that doesn't become like the next big thing. Like how we're literally crippling communities like on the regular. (laughs) It just blows my mind. I I never realized how, um, how big the banking game was and how Wells Fargo and uh, nation's bank. First of all, never bank at nation's bank. Screw those guys. Um, it's just a big game, and they're they're actually probably a lot more of the problem. Well, um, think about it. Like, what do you see in place of those banks? Right, you see check cashing and payday, you know, loan advancement. Predators, place. predators, yeah. loan sharks that are simply there to profit off of the fact that this is an underserved community. And I mean, it's I think it's a lot like what you see in when you create a vacuum. Right, what is going to happen? But somebody is going to fill that vacuum. Yeah. I think redlining is the old game. It's still in play. But I think that most people, especially live in the suburbs, never. I physically, I never go to my bank. Like, I ne- never have a need to go to a bank or get cash or anything like that. I can do anything I want over the phone or through the Internet. Um, I've actually gotten a loan through my bank, never walk into a bank. So imagine if there are no physical locations and there's no internet access, right? You just completely screwed up your community just like that, like instantaneously screw them over. Um, but let's put in a Walmart and see how, I don't know. For I, six I, months and very, then they'll close up. <laughs> yeah, I'm very fascinated with like currently that's like my new, the new bone I'm trying to bury. Like how do we figure out ways to, let's just make the plane feel even. I they don't, don't want they don't want to do that Andre. Right, I know. The guys at the top do not want an even playing field. Every corporate dictator or raider or whatever you want to call them through history will tell you that they figured out how to take advantage, how to have how to have an, a leading edge and I'm that just seems to be part of capitalism and I hate to say it but capitalism is part of the root of the problem. Yeah, I, I don't agree. Uh, <laughs> you can disagree. Uh, well, I mean, so this is where it, it's hard for me to like. I'm a capitalist guy, right? The only way out of the 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 shitholes situation you can like is capitalism. Unfortunately, well, that's why it was created. Yeah, and so for me, it's like it's it's hard, and I'll tell you why. Because if I get too successful, I'm a sellout. And I don't I don't really care when people say that. I'm like, I don't care. The lights are on. Kids are going to school. We got food. Um, but I always look back to see who I can help out. Right. So there's the extra psychological baggage for me to be successful, along with all the damn obstacles. Does that make sense? So socialism doesn't really work for me. It's kind of like, yeah, then you, you're making the, the cool kids club that much smaller. Communism definitely doesn't work for me because that's just weird. I'm not, I've already stood in line for toilet paper once this year in my lifetime. I will never do that again. I'm like, I'm not doing that either. The hard part is trying to find the balance there. And the hard, the even harder part is being black and navigating that, if that makes sense. Like it's really, it's really crappy and more challenge. Like being a small business owner is hard enough, right? Being a, a black small business owner and especially trying to crack into certain niches is 
400 times harder. So I straddle my feelings on that, if that makes sense. Like I'm all about capitalism because I don't see another way out, but I don't like the way the rules are sometimes. I think, you know, I think part of the problem is that what we're dealing with the United States is not, it's not even necessarily a result of capitalism itself. It's what we've allowed our capitalist kind of society to morph into. I mean, it's not because it's not truly capitalist and right, not, not in the sense that we have like social programs designed to help people, but more in the fact that like we consider certain industries and certain businesses to be too big to fail. You know, that like we will prop them up, that we have regulations and that we do things like, you know, corn subsidies. No, stop oh. growing corn. Like <laughs> corn is not something that needs to be grown at that level anymore. Stop right. growing it. You're not right. like you're not helping anybody by just paying somebody to make the problem the same. Like, that's what I don't understand. And that's that's where I think, again, big government often gets in the way because they look at it as, well, how do we fix this? We throw money at the problem. Right. Well, you shouldn't be throwing money literally at the farmers and saying, here, keep farming the stuff we don't need. You should be developing programs or you know, passing that money on whatever it is, like empowering the states to give them those people what they need to change the crop over or to, you know, to sell the land to whatever it is. Like you can't keep doing the same thing forever is, is well, I guess what my point thank is. Thank you, Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan uh, for like <laughs> trying to bail out farmers all the time. Uh, and I, I don't, you know, what? I was a big Reagan fan because my parents were in the military. And when there's a Republican in office, my dad always got a raise. So it's like, yay, my allowance went up. Woo. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a tough one. And I don't, I, again, I don't have a solve. Um, I hope it gets better. You know, I hope it, I hope I can eventually build a company to where I can help more people as opposed to struggle with the rest of it. Um, but it's hard. It's when, hard. When I, when I say that capitalism is part of the, the, the problem, I mean, the, capitalistic society what chris said is is what is what is what is the bigger problem is because of the expectation so right. what you have now is you have microsoft and you have electronic companies um you have e-commerce companies that have totally changed the game and figure out how does a brick and mortar company compete with an e-commerce company and both be in a similar industry of packaged goods selling them and they both go to the bank asking for an expansion loan and they look at their books and the e-commerce business is busting it and the brick and mortar guys you know struggling what I'm saying is that the game has changed so much that the standards are the expectations of the lenders, the banks, has gotten so big that, I mean, you just can't, you, you as a small guy, it's so much more difficult to compete. Right. And so, you know, I don't know what it's like to be a black entrepreneur. Um, I've known some that have been good friends and I've watched them struggle. Uh, Guys that I've you know grew up with, guys that um, that we knew through the neighborhoods, um, mostly restaurateurs. But let me ask you that, as a small business black man, if you go to 
a prominent businessman that's black in your community, will he support you? Will he help? That's a a great question. Um, And sometimes often the answer is no. Um, One thing I learned about just in my experience in business, always be cash rich, right? Mm -hmm. Cash is king is the world. Yes. Yep. And so for me, I, I figured out a way to fund my own experiment and try to not take on. So one of the the lessons I learned when we worked at the place that will no longer be named is I I was doing some research on, on startups on the East coast and on the West coast, West coast philosophy is cash out, get an equity play and then cash out once you have some, some phenomenal growth. East coast startup philosophy is grow it, maintain it, probably bring on a partner. Um, and I like that one a lot better. So I'm not forced to grow anything faster than what I can actually afford to do it. That goes, that ties back into my prior experience in the company I used to work for. You were in deep doo-doo if you didn't have a certain amount of cash for your organization. And they w- would remind you of it very often. So I'm fortunate with that experience to kind of say, okay, yes, I need to figure out a way to not take on a lot of debt, manage my risk, understand my assets, and leverage equity. To your original question, a lot of times the answer is no, which is sad. So it puts you in a very precarious situation, right? Right. Um, where, yeah, it's it's a really, it's a complicated, it's complicated. It's like, right. Because you have to prove yourself again that you're, you have a seat at the table where you shouldn't have to, I mean, as a, with a business plan, I've done the homework, but I don't need to prove to you again, I deserve to be at this table. Right. Sure. I agree. And that's, that's where it gets, it's frustrating and complicated. So we, there's not a lot, there's not enough, uh, uh, that circle is not very big. And being a tech guy, it's very small. (laughs) It's like so small. It's not even a thought. It's like when you look up and see all the great tech minds, very far. And like, I can't think of any black guys. It's really, it's almost sad. Um, Yeah. I can't think of any. The, and, and the, the point I'm the point again, that I, that I've used to support that is there was a time in this country that if I was a middle-class factory worker, um, or a technician, a, a glorified mechanic, automotive technician, the way I was, because I grew up on the working working out of a toolbox. Right. Um, I grew up pumping gas in a gas station, changing brakes and mufflers, and in Michigan, it was a horrible job, but I loved it. <laughs> I loved it because the guys I hung around with taught me how about building cars and going fast and racing, and so I loved that. But the the point is, is that. If I if I tried to continue and expand that business, at some point, you know, I, I'd go to look for support, and most guys would look at you as a threat. So you couldn't get any help, regardless of what color you are. It was like, eh, figure it out on your own. Right. See how good you are. If you're any good, you'll figure it out. If you're not, well, you weren't meant to do this. And it's it's never been the helping hand thing. It's not. It's not what I thought it was going to be when I was in college. I thought I was going to get help. Thought there were people out there that were willing to help. And the truth is, I don't think there are. 
So, so maybe our experiences aren't that different, right? So, yeah, that's what so. I'm saying. It's you know, Disneyland wasn't. I, I didn't grow up in Disneyland. That's for darn sure. <laughs> so that's just me. I'm just the one guy growing up in Disneyland here. Just so everybody, for those keeping score at home, Chris is the one who grew up in Disneyland, and everybody else has had a rough life. Yeah, Bob and Andre know what it's like to you know get our fingers dirty. <laughs> no, I'm giving you a hard time. No, but that's that's good, and that's that's almost comforting. I, I met. I met an old guy, older guy when I was 25, uh, very successful, small business owner. You can say and, old guy. It's okay. Especially when I was 25, he was definitely older than me. I was like, he's old, Way but I would older. have, I would have coffee with him like, you know, twice a week and ask him, you know, things about life that I had yet to experience. And he asked me, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'm like, I don't know. I really, I, I'm just making it up as I go along. And, um, you know, we talk about a lot of things. And one day as we got to know each other, he actually said to me, so here's my advice. In order to get where I'm at, you have to do the things I've done. And after probably a year or so of talking to him, you know, he would tell me that when he started his business, he worked a full-time job, but also worked his business part-time. Right. And he said, you know what I did? I turned my full-time job into my part-time job and my part-time job, which is my business into my full-time job. So that meant I woke up early and I went to bed late and you, you have to go through those, those motions. And so it all accumulated when he said, in order to get where I'm at, you have to do the things I've done. And he's been you know, telling me over time, all the things he had to do differently and not to be afraid of the challenge. And I, you know, I think that's part of, you know, yeah, our, our, experiences with that are not different but in, or, in order for me to get where i want to be i have to do the things that i've seen successful people do and maybe i can be one of the first black people that people when they think about a tech company they're like hey and andre powell right i think steve jobs is awesome i think bill gates is you know a brilliant man but there's no jerome <laughs> like I'm a, i've never yeah. heard of jerome right. anywhere in that list so. well you know so, so many people want to uh they want they want the instant win they want the big hit and i think i think life is life has been much more fulfilling for mary and i because uh, we just celebrated 40 years together congratulations thank you um i i often remind her she's my first wife <laughs> still i said you're still my first wife um but but we feel that you know we're we're not wealthy people we're not we're not even rich people do do we live comfortably i think so but i think the reason we live comfortably is cuz we've worked hard together for 40 plus years to a right. common goal and to look out for each other and tried to have some fun along the way right and I wouldn't trade the fun and the memories that we have, although I'd probably make a couple of business decisions that are a little <laughs> different. You know, that Monday morning quarterback stuff is always brilliant. Right. Um, but I, uh, I, I wouldn't change that because if we had got to where we are now without having to go through the hard times we did, I don't think we would appreciate it. That's, that's very true. That's it's very just, true. It, That's it, why I had kids super young. 
so that it would make you have to struggle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's totally right. I heard you I have a thought, lovely family. Yeah, I, I, I love it's an awesome family. And I always tell Chris, eat your vegetables. So we had kids who both my wife and I we had kids young. So now it's just my daughter. So it's like I'm gonna be super, super young and living the life, you know. <laughs> um but it's but you're right, and I I, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. You have to, it's not easy. Right. And I, and I tell Chris and you probably heard me say, I've been through some crappy things, but the trick of it is, you know, I'm very rooted in my faith. I'm, you know, I may smoke a cigar every now and then I'm not a poster boy Christian, but I don't, I don't regret a lot. You know, I, there's probably one or two things. There's two things I've, I've done in my life. I regretted. And I've told both of my sons that, that's and if I know one of them is listening, you guys know what I'm talking about. There's two regrets I've ever made in my life, and hopefully I never have to like go back and relive that situation. But just to be clear, you're not saying that it's them, right? No, 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 okay. no, no. But both <laughs> of the my way you were phrasing that, it kind of yeah, started to sound like. And if you terrible. guys are listening, you know what I'm talking about. You two, right there, my regrets. They, no. Yeah, <laughs> they, they both made the same mistake, and I regret how I handle it. I was too nuts. So <laughs> that's the only thing I regret. Um, but for the most part, it makes you who you are, you know, good and bad. Uh, if I didn't work at that place, I would have never met Chris. You know, if I, um, if I didn't take chances, I wouldn't have learned so many different things. You know, um, I wouldn't be able to be open-minded. I would probably just be a product of my environment, you know? So I definitely believe in, in taking chances, doing the hard work, rolling your sleeves up and not making excuses. I mean, sometimes you have a shitty day for lack of a better term. Try again, <laughs> like try, try again the next day, try a little bit harder. Um, yeah, today is tomorrow's yesterday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Bob, I'll tell you what, your son's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he says some really stupid things uh, sometimes we, uh, that makes him Andre we, shake his head. But yeah, it's now you know where all the dumb dad jokes come from. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so I was I was very fortunate to have my father, uh, his grandpa, with an extremely dry sense of humor. The Smith sense <laughs> of humor was, I mean, it was it was. And he would he would he would sneak up on you and say something in the middle of a conversation. He'd make a comment, and then people would keep talking, and they'd go, "Hey, wait a minute!" <laughs> and then he'd just be sitting there smiling, going, "Yeah," <laughs> just waiting to see if anybody was paying attention. <laughs> well, played. well, played. well, Bob, um, I'm I'm glad that you took the time to talk to us today. Um, and well, thank you. I appreciate the offer to be to be here. Yeah. I know I sort of had a shoe in with him, but I know you had to approve it. <laughs> I told Andre yeah. it was his idea. Yes. Yeah. Was, yeah, because so full disclosure, uh, Bob gave us some feedback and I was like, all right, well, I'm open to feedback and maybe we're wrong or maybe we're not wrong, or, or at least we can talk about it. But now I understand kind of, I I understand and definitely respect your point of view. Like when Chris and I spoke on the phone, I kind of said the same thing. I'm like, well, I mean, but Trump makes it so easy. We all <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, yeah. So and I and I and I tried to I try to share that with Mary when she gets on her horse, and it's like, 
you know, when you, it's almost like once you make it personal, then you rise to the bait because they've gotten you, whoever has gotten you angry or upset or motivated to the point where you either want to retaliate or lash out. And when you do that, you've lost control. You've lost control of your own emotion. And now right. you're doing the same thing they're doing. So and you, you, can't, <laughs> you can't bully a bully. It, it, it won't work. You, well, you have to do something. I agree. Else. And he says he's from New York, but he's not. He's yeah, not, he's, he's not, not really smart. from New York. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think New York wants to claim him. Yeah, he's from the part guy. of New York that's on the other side of you know the Canadian border there. Yeah, <laughs> but Canada I mean, doesn't want to own up to it. <laughs> there was a there was a party when he changed his residence of Florida. Everybody was happy. Like, yeah, go. go. <laughs> well, uh, quick quick story about him. We we believe it or not, actually met the man. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Back in uh, back in one of our, so I have a I have a lifelong friend. Uh, well, known him since 1982. We've been running pals. We've been salesmen together. We've been in business together. We've hated each other. We love each other. Um, now I know who he's talking. Fred about. knows him well. My friend Fred. <laughs> Fred, Fred knows him well. He's Fred, talking about Fred. <laughs> Fred and I have been in the car business uh, together for quite a while. We've had we've had a good run. We've done some great stuff. Had a lot of fun, done some pretty stupid stuff, uh, but um, I guess the point that I'm, what point was I making was you that the Donald. Oh, you met Donald. Met met. So in one of the car ventures that we had, we were working for a guy by the name of Kelly, who was resurrecting the Avante brand. Oh right. And he was <laughs> resurrecting. He was taking Mustang chassis. And, you know, like six-month-old, one-year-old Mustangs, taking them to Mexico, tearing the bodies off of them, reskinning them as fiberglass Avante convertibles, and he wanted to sell them. That's sacrilege. So <laughs> You should have so, seen the outcome of the product. <laughs> so, you know, it it was it wasn't a it wasn't a horribly designed looking car. It was just a horrible fiberglass body. So right. at any rate, during one of our opportunities, there was this grand fundraising event at his uh, residence down there, uh, Mir Lago. Oh, Mar Lago, yeah. And so through a friend, we got invited, and and so Fred had we'd set it up, we'd taken the Avante down there. And then we were working together because Donald and this woman who was head of the charity were supposed to drive into the view under the uh, under the arches in this Avante. We thought we'd hit a home run. Well, we're, it's 10 minutes before showtime and we're in there and, and, you know, and, and uh, we're expecting Fred's got the car ready and I'm standing on the other end and we're talking on the radio go, and he goes, he can't drive the car. <laughs> I said, what do you mean he can't drive the car? He said, he told me he's under contract with Mercedes. And if anybody takes a picture of him driving our car, it'll be against his, his agreement in contract. Ugh. So I said to Fred, you drive the car. He said, what? I said, just drive the car. 
screw the guy. We'll have him wait and he can open the door for the lady and let her step out of the car and she'll be the queen of the ball. You drive the car. So, okay, Fred's going to drive the car. <laughs> and here, sure enough, car comes around and announcing, and here is Mr. Donald J. Trump driving the Avante, <laughs> accompanied by Miss Gail Brophy. And Trump's standing there going, hey, I'm right here. <laughs> so that's my Donald Trump story. We did have a good time in Miralago that night. We ate and drank until it was wee hours of the morning. You only but, do that stuff one time, man. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I I rarely hate people. Hate's a strong word. It, it goes against word. my 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 makeup. But I I he gets it. He's yeah. He's well, like, I I know I, I do know how you feel because I'll share with you. I feel the same way about Bill Clinton. Yeah, I will find the time if he dies before I do to go piss on his grave, <laughs> and that's personal. So there, see, yeah, I, I rose mean, to the bait. I've lost control. Now I'm the, now I, now I'm the fish. So just yeah. remember, Chris is the one who kept control here. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, it's it is what it is. But you know, I, I'm really glad that you took a moment to, to hang out with us, and uh, oh, hopefully, we cool. can do it again in the future. Yeah, um, yeah, we'd love to do it. Yeah, we, I get into some sports. I'm not, I'm not a big sports car guy, but we can. Uh, I'll, I'll give you my uh, I'll give you my automotive spin. Oh yeah, I mean Andre's big into F one and, and IndyCar and stuff like that. He likes racing yeah. as long as it's not NASCAR. That's just really not NASCAR is not his uh, not his flavor of racing that he that he prefers. So well, there's lots of other yeah. racing we can yeah. talk about. That NASCAR's NASCAR's going through. They've just they really took their eye off the ball. I, I Bill France is probably doing barrel rolls in his grave over what is Bill France Junior is doing barrel so so is Senior over what uh, the way Brian has. Change the I, I know there's there's a time in the uh I want to say the mid nineties where NASCAR had this resurgence and um Yes. That's what I was involved in it with I actually spotted for the sixteen car. Oh really? Yeah, when uh, yeah. Wally Dollenbach drove sixteen it was under the uh Roush, wasn't it? Uh, well it was a Roush owned car, but it was number sixteen. Uh Keystone Beer was a sponsor. And then later on Ted Musgrave drove sixteen car when it was Family Channel. And okay. uh I got to draw. I got to spot one of two spotters uh, for the uh, so in bigger tracks like Indianapolis, the track right. was so large. There's no vantage point where one spotter can talk to the driver all the way around the track. So you actually had one in turn four and one in turn two, and uh, I got to spot the inaugural Brickyard race at Indianapolis, which was really cool. that's super cool. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, super cool. So yeah, we'll have him back on. We'll talk some sports stuff next time. Something yeah, a little I mean, less again, I, I yeah. And I'm trying I'm trying to watch Bubba race because I'm interested now. Like I want to watch that. But um he's a he's a he's a fantastic guy. I've been around the garage when he's around. He is so loved in that sport because he is the real deal. That's amazing. I mean, and I he, noticed he was driving uh Petty's car. Yes, he's been driving for Richard for a while. That is, I mean, Petty's a legend, you know. Yeah, um, the king. He is the king. He is the king of NASCAR. Yeah, and so. uh, and the fact that that Bubba's got an alliance with Richard and the forty three car and that whole team is is really good for him. But Bubba's just one of those guys that's the real deal. He's uh, right. he's worked hard his whole life. He came up racing, and uh, I wish I wish I knew him better. I mean, I wish I knew him where I could call him up and talk to him. 
because uh, I think that uh, he's just phenomenal. Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, um, I, Bob, I really, I, you're definitely coming back. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> and Chris, you know, it's, it's been another awesome time talking to you. Um, as always, I'm not bitter about how the government botched helping small businesses at all. No, you guys... in case everybody that was listening uh, thought that that <laughs> might be the case. That's certainly not how Andre feels. I, one thing I try not to do is, um, I, I don't like, su- you know, shameless promotion, number one. And I don't like <laughs> shameless self-promotion. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I meant. And I don't <laughs> like, uh, I don't like talking crap about companies in public unless I've not talked to, you know, haven't, well, I just don't like doing it. Um, that I've been personally associated with, but man, sometimes I just want to do it. <laughs> it's hard not to sometimes. You're absolutely sometimes. right. It is true. But, uh, we really do appreciate everybody for hanging in there for episode 24. Um, it's been great. We'll keep doing this because it's fun. And want to thank all of our, the people that have been listening in Ireland, uh, Colombia, uh, the Netherlands. Yeah. Thank you, Netherlands. Uh, yeah. that's, a, that's a new country for us. Uh, yeah. And I, I think you said you saw some from Puerto Rico? No, it point? was Peru. Peru, that's right. Yeah, we got Peru, Peru showing up. Uh, so if you're Peruvian, you know what that's about. I'm I'm all about that salsa life. Yeah. The, um, uh, the Chris and Andre show is officially going global. Uh, <laughs> we're not viral yet uh, because, you know, the world is dealing with enough pandemic uh, at this moment. So we're going to let the coronavirus kind of run its course. And then when that's done, we'll take over. Yeah. And <laughs> this guy. And, you know, definitely a shout out to people in uh, Baytown, Texas. Uh, I'm not really sure where that's at. I do plan on one day, hopefully, going to Austin. That's on my list of places to visit in the States. You do know that everybody else in Texas does not consider Austin to be part of Texas, right? I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's South by Southwest. So that's, Austin is like the, it's the hippy dippy neighborhood of Texas that, okay. I mean, like, I would love to go to Austin. Like, we we can go to Austin together, but I'm pretty sure that the rest of Texas does not look very favorably on. All right. Austin. Well, Houston listens. I mean, is it Houston or Dallas? Let me. I want to make sure. I think Houston. Yeah, we had Houston. A Houston. Yeah. We had uh, Oakland, California. Uh, shout out to Raleigh. I have no idea who's in Raleigh listening <laughs> to us. Uh, and Apex, man, just blowing yeah. us up. Like all our Apex listeners. I know Andre's giving me like this really nasty glare. He's like, dude, I swear it's not just me hitting replay over and over and over again. <laughs> no, we actually, we did a little bit of research. We're pretty sure we have legit listens in Apex. So Andre's yeah. obviously broadcasting a, uh, a wide net there amongst his friends and, and colleagues. <laughs> so we're, we're glad that you guys listen to, listen to us every week and uh, please check out the Chris and, uh, Chris and Andre show.com. Stop we trying to put a... the in front of it. It's not there. We made that yeah. decision together. It's Chris and Andre show.com. I I've messed up again. <laughs> uh, we just did a, a quick, fresh, you know, redesign. So that yes, was, and I have to, to give do. Andre a shout out because it looks absolutely amazing as a guy that has, uh, that immediately switched to the dark theme on his iPhone when that became available, <laughs> going from our stark white, um, background to a much, nicer easier on the eyes uh you know i mean i'm getting up there in age now like i'm gonna be 36 in a couple of weeks here 
Shut up, Chris. And my eyes are not what they used to be. As you know, I recently had to get glasses. Um, you mean you had to get reading glasses? I opted to get glasses for my minor uh, prescription. I think it's literally the smallest a prescription can actually be where that's not just By law. plain By glass law. that's in there. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise the glasses companies would just be ripping you off all the time. But no, uh, I don't even remember what we were talking about at this point. That's... Anyway, we're glad you joined us. Thanks to our special guest, Bob, the father of Chris, of the Chris and Andre show. The Bob father, uh, if you will. <laughs> Bob. Oh, gosh. <laughs> He's so distracting. <laughs> and this is, Bob, this is what happens to my face. He'll do that. And I'm just like. <sighs> yep. Every time. So now, now when he listens to the podcast and he hears that noise from you, he can now, he knows exactly what that face is. <laughs> yep, the hands, yeah. yep, it's all of it. <laughs> so uh, we're glad everybody joined us and please do visit com. There is no the, it's just com. We're on all the platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, Google. And the ones we that are they still haven't even announced with- that exist yet. We're going to be on yeah. those too. On what? Well, I'm because I'm assuming there'll be some new streaming platforms that haven't actually come out yet. But when they do, we'll get on those as well. Yes, we will. I'm just trying to and be preemptive. Uh, I don't know when people are going to listen to this, but this might be 50 years in the future. I don't want them <laughs> to think that they can't find it on Spalorkify. You're right. You're right. Thank, thank you, Chris. And we are still on, on the social media channels: uh, Facebook at something and Twitter at something else. So, yep. Um, Please, hang, you know, listen, hang out, share it with your friends, and always drop us a comment. We have a, uh, you know, on the social medias or on our website. We'd love to hear from you. So once again, as always, I'm Andre. And I'm Chris. And we'll talk to you soon. What do you call a lost wolf? A werewolf.